Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Uh, Why don't you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. I'm not sure. I think I'm too loud. Am I I too loud for everybody? Or was we just right? We're good? Okay. So don't do anything. Just seems loud. Which is really interesting because I'm hard of hearing. So I'm thinking if I'm, it's loud for me. But if it's not for you, we're good. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. And I struggled with two sermons. Uh, This one on encouragement. And another one on the God who gives second chances. And um, I struggled and struggled and struggled till about 10 o'clock last night. I had written both of them, uh, but just wasn't sure what to go with. And I felt like this was more Tuba City-centric than the other one was. The other one I wrote at Tuba City, which is another interesting story. But this one I'm going to stick with. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 says this. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I want to talk about encouragement. I want you to just, let's start with a picture in your mind. Whether you're at home, or you're coming home from work. And it's been a rough day, but if you're at home, Uh, You have just worked hard, and the house is clean, and and everything looks great. It's almost like spick and span, invite the president to come on over, whatever it is. That's great. You're you're, you're really open for that. And your spouse comes in the door, and uh, they look, and they go, what have you been doing all day long? There's still dishes in the sink. How do you feel? How do you feel? All day long, blood, sweat, and tears, and the only thing they notice are the dishes in the sink. Or imagine coming home from a long day, you've had a difficult time with your boss, you've struggled through everything, it's been a long ride home, like this week my son took him like a two and a half hour trip from Irving Park on the metro because someone had been hit by a train and all the things they had to go through and you come home and you're exhausted, a rough day, and you walk in the door and your spouse says, well, that's it? Or, man, why do you look like that? Or, what's wrong with you? It's discouraging, right? And, and if you continue to build that into your life, that sense of discouragement can create a sense of despair and hopelessness. And in some ways, I think that Tuba City is a big example of people all their lives who've been told something, even when they have great potential, And they can do some really wonderful things. And this year, our uh, Assembly of God students who helped us were excellent. They were excellent. They were a, a step beyond all the other years. And it was extremely encouraging. But if you live in an environment where you try to do your best, but it's just not enough, it can be very discouraging and, and create a sense of hopelessness. The writer of Hebrews, whoever he may be, is saying here, listen, I want to talk about encouragement. I want you to encourage one another 
Because if you don't encourage one another, especially on a daily basis, man, it is difficult to follow Jesus. It is just absolutely difficult. And more than likely, if you don't have someone who comes alongside of you and carries you when you need to be carried, and I would say many of us need to be carried often, then you're going to have trouble with sin and unbelief and ultimately a hardened heart as you turn away from the living God. So I want to invite Ellie up here, Ellie Lim, and she's going to give us our our last testimony just to kind of give us a picture of her individual experience as well. Um, Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ellie Lim, and I'll be a freshman at Elgin High School this fall. And a couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of going to Tuba City, Arizona for the first time. And I got to help teach the nine-year-old class with Josh and Luke, as well as four other people who live in Arizona. And originally, I had asked Pofo to place me in a class with the five, six, or seven-year-olds, but I ended up teaching the nine-year-olds instead. And if I'm being completely honest, I was a little disappointed but I'm so glad that I ended up teaching the older kids. On the first day of EBS, we only had four kids in our class, and we had prepared to teach 30. Even though we were expecting to teach a larger class, having only four kids allowed us to connect with them more. We got more students as the days went by, and although most of them were really shy, they warmed up to us more throughout the four days that we were together. Amongst the kids who had warmed up to us already, There was one kid who was still pretty quiet and introverted, and his name was Devin. Devin was sitting alone on the second day of EBS, so I sat down and talked with him until worship started. I asked him a bunch of questions about himself, to which he answered with one-word responses, but after a while, I was surprised to hear him open up by telling me all about himself and his family voluntarily. On the fourth day of EBS, I sat down with Devin again, And he just started talking to me about his tough home situation and how it made him feel scared and alone. He talked to me for about 10 minutes, explaining everything that had been happening to him in the past couple weeks. It was then that I realized that kids don't have to climb all over you and ask for piggyback rides to show their affection. My nine-year-olds were a little too big to be carried, but I was touched that some of them chose to open up and share their stories with me. I realized that God put me in that class for a reason, even though I had originally wanted to teach the younger kids. Many things happened on this trip. I made new friendships and strengthened old ones. I was able to connect with the kids, and most importantly, my relationship with God got stronger. I also didn't have my phone with me, so I felt like I was really able to refocus and put God first. I would like to to thank the congregation for making this trip possible by supporting us financially and through prayer, And I also want to thank the whole Tuba City team for making our trip such a memorable experience. Thank you. I I do want to add that uh, she was supposed to teach the nine-year-old class with me. I think that was part of her disappointment, but I got over it. The general context of Hebrews is this. There is a Jewish Hebrew community that is struggling to follow Christ. 
I don't know the reasons specifically. It could be that they're experiencing persecution. And in the midst of that persecution, they are wondering to themselves, is this really worth it? Is it really worth losing a job or being thrown out of this or ending up in jail? Is it really worth it? I mean, it just seems a little bit easier if we just go back to the old ways. Or there may even be some in the congregation who not only are asking, is it really worth it? They might be saying, is it really worth it to keep believing in God and just not enjoying some of maybe the pleasures of the world? I really honestly don't know what it is, but the writer of Hebrews is writing this community and saying, guys, hang in there. Hang in there because Christ is so much better than what you had in the past. And Christ is so much better than sin itself. Just hang in there. And the way to hang in there, rather than living as individuals, is to come together as a community, to come together as a family, come together as brothers and sisters, and in your gatherings, encourage each other daily. To say, keep pressing on. Now, what is encouragement? Encouragement is the ability to help someone else follow Christ more. And that's basically what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do. Trying to encourage them. Now, in a specific context, in chapter 3, what you have here is Paul is, is giving, I would think, or say, at least a warning to the church. And he's telling them, listen, when you look back at ancient Israel... And you see all of the good things that God did for them, even in the end, what they said was, yeah, we don't really trust God. We're going to go our own way. And the surprising thing about that is time after time after time, all of the good things that God did, they still didn't believe. So I think, and I could be wrong, but the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, looking back at the past, because we can learn from the past, Look at the example of the Israelites, fellow Hebrews, way back when, and see that in the midst of their unbelief, their hearts grew hardened. And many of them missed out actually entering into the promised land. So he's warning them. He's encouraging them. He's warning them and saying, guys, hang in there. Keep following Christ. Because there's nothing that is more valuable than following Christ. But, Be careful. Don't go back into the old ways of unbelief because what will happen is sin will deceive you, your heart will harden, and you'll turn away from good. God, and there's nothing good in that. Encouragement is that sense of helping someone wanting to follow Christ more. And I will say this. In terms of application, criticism is a good thing. Because in a sense, the writer of Hebrews is criticizing their desire to go back to the old way of living. And he's saying, don't do it. Stop. I'm warning you. Not because you want to be an angry parent that comes up to your kids and say, don't do that. But because of someone who comes alongside, an encourager, like the Spirit, comes alongside and says, hang in there, but understand, understand Something bad can happen when you turn away from the living God. Encouragement is good. Criticism is good. And ultimately, we're going to get to the application, which I brought in the initial part, is sometimes we are really striving hard to follow Christ, and someone comes alongside of us, and they say, hey, good job. But now let me tell you all the things that you did wrong. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is doing. 
The writer of Hebrews is encouraging them. He's criticizing them, but he's not cutting them down. And I want to get to that in a few minutes and the importance of that. But again, let's go back to the verses. The writer says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, I went to Tuba City for two reasons. One, obviously, for VBS, to lead our VBS team. But over the years, and I think since 2005, our church has gone 12 of the 13 years. And I'd have to say I've been on at least 9 or 10 of those trips as well. And in that time period, I've begun to develop relationships with many of the pastors there that are in Tuba City. And uh, one Sunday, Paul and I, we went out and we were visiting one of the pastors and we met two of them and I was talking to one of them and this pastor has been in Tuba City for 18 years. And in 18 years, his ministry is still small. Now when we look at that, we could say, brother, you've been here for 18 years, man. Where's the growth? Which is basically what his denomination told him before they fired him. And in, in the midst of that, in the midst of his pain, listening to him as the story unfolded, as he explained to me that someone from the denomination came to help the church, to come alongside of him to be an encourager. Criticizing, yes, maybe there are things that, are, that he does wrong, but he came alongside him, and instead of encouraging or even criticizing to help him be a better follower of Christ, he actually cut into him and said, this guy is doing nothing without grasping the fullness of the story. You see, the reality of Tuba City is this. It is not only a physically barren land... It is an emotionally and spiritually barren land as well. Here's what happens. People will come into your church and the pastor will pour his life into people. He will develop them as leaders. And when their lives get put back together, you know what they do? They leave Tuba City. Anyone here ever been involved in college ministry? I mean, if you've gone to college, you've been in college ministry. What happens every four years? Well, for some of you, five in my case, eight. But that's another story, right? What happens? Your leaders move on. You've just poured your life into these leaders and they say, thank you very much. I will see you later. That's discouraging. Now, if you come into the college ministry, you have that mindset. You're ready for it. But when you're dealing with adults and you see that happen over and over and over again and someone comes from the denomination and says, you're a failure... You want to give up. I could be wrong. I think one of the reasons that the former pastor at AOG left was because he, instead of being encouraged, had received cutting criticism. It got to be too much. And the pastor that I was talking to said, I don't want to leave angry. I don't want to leave bitter. Now, the good news is that the denomination rehired them because they found out what really is happening, that people are getting saved, that people are becoming leaders, but they're leaving Tuba City because there's nothing there. For families. Now imagine if the denomination went ahead and fired him. This man had poured 18 years of his life into this. And they come along and say, here's the little things that you haven't done right. You're done. That is discouraging. Now if you're in prayer meetings. And I don't know if I can get an amen on this. But I sort of pray like a librarian. No offense to librarians, by the way. But when you pray in a library, how do you pray? You kind of pray in a nice, smooth, sort of silent, calm voice, right? Restful prayer. It's my new thing. You know, I want to be, 
I'm confident in God, so I'm resting in prayer. And praying in a way that is really nice and smooth and flowing and caring. I prayed for this pastor, and I cried. I have not cried for someone in ages when I prayed for them. Because I felt his heart. This brother needed someone to come alongside of him, even on a daily basis, and say, we are with you, brother. This is difficult. This is difficult ministry to be living. And when the people above you are supposed to be encouraging you and instead are firing you, which he got rehired when they found out what the truth was, then you understand why encouragement is so important because he said, I can get a hard heart because I'm so angry. Imagine that. You are pouring your life into something and someone comes alongside not knowing the whole situation and says, you just are not good enough. To see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Make sure, follow, listen to my warning, but encourage one another daily. The way to prevent this hardness of heart is when the family of God comes together and encourages one another in the midst of all of their struggles. You know what that pastor told me when I was done praying? He said, you know what I am thankful for? That every once in a while... You do something that the denomination doesn't do. You email me just to see how I'm doing and how you can pray for me. Encouragement. To come alongside someone and say, I am with you. Come hell or high water, I'll be there. Encouragement. Now, what are we talking about here? Encouragement. Why? Because... None of us, this is the desire, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, I, have to, you know, I don't know, if maybe you can all amen me on this one, but how many of you sometimes just love sin? Any amens? Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding, right? We all know what it's like. Sometimes you look at something and you go, no, 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 and you walk right into it with your arms wide open because it just grabs your heart with a passion, Right? And there's, there's a power in that. But what I think the writer of Hebrews is saying, man, there is a power, but sin is deceitful because what it does, it kind of draws you in and then crushes you like a bug. And, and I don't remember where I heard this, but I heard somewhere in some country, what they do is they hollow out coconuts and they put candy in there. And uh, then monkeys, it's a monkey trap. And he said, how is a monkey going to fit in a little hole in the coconut? But what happens is they put candy in there and the monkey reaches in and he grabs the candy and then when he tries to pull out, guess what? He can't. And that dude don't let go. And thus they capture the monkey. That's what sin does to us. Because our thinking is, man, this is just like so good. And God, he could forgive me in the end, right? So I'm just going to hold on to that. But that's the tricky, deceitful thing about sin. Because once it grabs a hold of us, it doesn't let go. And as the more we get into it, the more we get into it, and the more we get into it, and it holds us so tightly, what happens is we become like those ancient Hebrews who look to God and say, what are you doing? Nothing. Forget it. It's not worth following after you. And at VBS, we did Jonah. We did Jonah. And the real cool thing, the kids who did this skits, this is the amazing thing about these kids. We came up with our own curriculum. We came up with our own skits. And if you ever read the book of Jonah, whether you see it as a parable or a true story, 
in the fourth chapter when Jonah is angry with God because one, he spared Nineveh, and then he killed these plants when he should have killed Nineveh and spared the plants, you really don't get the full picture because at the VBS skit, and this is how good these kids are, they came up with this contrast and comparison. So Jonah had three companions, and the three companions are sitting there on the fourth day of VBS, this fourth skit, and they're saying, look at all the wonderful things that God has done. God has done great things. He spared the city of Nineveh. People are coming to God and they're believing. They've repented from their sins. And Jonah's in the background and says, but this plant is dead. What? (laughs) What are you thinking, Jonah? See, Jonah couldn't get past his own personal anger and his own personal hatred. And he couldn't see the work of God. And, and that's the frustrating thing, if, even for me sometimes, if through personal experience, you work so hard to do something, and then someone who's supposed to come alongside of you then says, listen, that was a great trip, man. I really love what God did in the kids, but now let's not go through these little things that really don't matter much, but we're going to focus on them the whole time. Bam! And suddenly you go, man, I don't really want to do this anymore. And the discouragement grows, and it grows, and it grows. Instead, the call is to be encouragers in the midst of, of, of a daily experience. And I know we're sitting there going, dude, I, man, daily experience. You know, I'm going to contact people on a daily basis? I mean, what do you think? I got a cell phone or something? Like our daughter got a new cell phone. It's glued to her hand. I'm serious. It is glued. We're doing stuff. And, and never before, and I, I regret getting it, but we got it anyway. We took the plunge. But it's glued to You can contact people constantly now. There's no excuse for us not to even take this admonition on a daily basis. Some of us don't need it, but some of us really do need a daily expression of, hey, I love you. I care for you. I am with you. One of the other pastors at Tuba City works for the government, got into a car accident. He's a EPA police. He got T-boned. Absolutely discouraged. Because he's blind in 90% of his left eye. Which means when you're a police officer driving a car, there's something wrong with that, right? Shouldn't be driving. There's a lot of things that you shouldn't be doing because there's a lot happening here that you need to see. And so he's discouraged. And then his wife loses several family members in this time period. What is he thinking? I mean, when I wrote him emails... How you doing? What's going on? How can I pray you for you? didn't write back. I had to find out from somebody else. The only reason he didn't write back is one, because he's discouraged, he's depressed, but then he feels guilty that he's not writing back. So he was the man that we were praying for in that picture. Because our expression to him is, brother, we are your family. We want to encourage you on a daily basis. We may not be able to be there in Chicago all the time, but we want you to know we are with you in the midst of this. In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your family, struggling to follow Christ as you're trying to lead a church, which has got to be feeling guilty as well. Unnecessary. Let the brothers and sisters come alongside and be encouragers to you. Another one of the pastors there, every week during the summer, the denomination sends one church after the next, coming and coming. And and you're a host, you've got a host. The absolute exhaustion by the end of the summer. Encouragement. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Why would you do that? Because you don't see the value of following Christ. 
Why don't you see the value of following Christ? Because maybe your circumstances are difficult. Maybe you're struggling through whatever the reason is that you're struggling in the midst of that the answer is turn to the brothers and sisters around you. And ultimately that the brothers and sisters around you are to be your team encouragement. Now, that's not easy because sometimes if you're like me, like a parent when your kids do something, how many of you struggle with that? I told you so. Come on, be honest. Okay, for those of you who are parents who aren't raising your hands, you're lying. But we'll accept that. It's so easy. I told you so. Why'd you do that? <clears throat> Tuba City teaches me this one thing. People are dying for encouragement. I don't mean physically dying. And in some ways, in Tuba City, they are. Because of all the things that they chase after other than Christ. Not because they're bad people, but because it's really hard to minister down there. And the pastors are struggling with the discouragement that they have to face. Coming together and just realizing as a family, listen, man, we want to be there. We want to be with you. We want to see you keep pressing on to know Christ because the alternative is no good. The alternative is no good. It's one way to follow after Christ that gives us that sense of, I don't want to say, it is a sense of fulfillment, but our goal in following Christ is not that that sense of fulfillment. It's just the better way. Because the other way, when our hearts become hardened because of the deceitfulness of sin, and it turns into unbelief and we turn away from God, the alternative is not good. That is the warning of the passage. That is the criticism, in a sense. The writer of Hebrews is giving a critique. You're in a bad spot. But my encouragement is you can be in a good spot when you come together as family. Anyone here watch the Netflix original series, 13 Reasons Why? Okay, only a few of us. I don't know if you want to see it. I really, uh, I don't want to say I enjoyed it. Initially, I, I had concerns about watching it. The, the concerns were, my expectation was that the language was going to be bad, and it was. And uh, some of the rape scenes in there were not going to be good. Graphic, a little too much graphic. And I don't know how to put this, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be ignorantly honest. They weren't as graphic as they, I expected them to be, but they were still horrible. That makes sense. But it's not the activity that was seen, it was the activity that was seen, which you'll have to talk to me and I'll explain that to you later. 13 Reasons Why, the story is about a high school girl who has 13 reasons or 13 people with the matching events in her life as to why she has taken her life. And she goes through each episode, here's the one person, here's what you did, and this is how it built up to actually taking my life. And in one of the episodes, the protagonist, who's actually a good guy, a very good guy, uh, this, this uh, Hannah, Hannah Baker is her name, she's written this poem and she's basically exposed her heart. And everybody is mocking the poem. And she's hearing it. And it devastates her. And the one guy, the good guy in all of this, and now let me make sure I got this right. I probably don't, but he says, and I can't find it, so I'm just going to go with it. But basically she says, what do you think of the poem? And he doesn't know that she wrote it. And he looks at the poem and he says, you know what? Uh, it's, it's a good poem. It's interesting. But I'm not sure I would like to hang around with this person. Because it's kind of dark. And uh, I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, 
Come on, Clay, just say it, man. What I want you to say is, man, this is a weird poem, but I would really like to meet this person so that I could walk with them through their pain. Instead, he says, yeah, good poem, but man, I don't think I'd want to hang out with them. And I just, my heart broke because I said, oh my God, dude, dude. Okay, it's only a movie and I get that. It's only based on a book. This is how involved I get in these things. But I wanted to jump in there and say, what is wrong with you, man? Because you know what was missing in 13 Reasons Why? There was not one Christian in that whole show. And so I shared with these guys, and I said, I wonder if in your school there is someone like Hannah Baker walking around looking for someone to just be their friend and love them, if that person could be you. And if Clay had said, man... As a follower of Christ, it would be really cool to hang around and minister to this person because they're hurting. And in the midst of their hurting, I know this guy named Jesus who can come alongside of her and help her in the midst of her pain. That was missing. And I wonder if it's missing in the church. Because we'd like to think, hey, you know what? In the church, people don't take their advice. Yeah, they do. And we know that to be true. And if it happens, it doesn't mean, oh, bad church or even bad person. But I wonder how different Hannah's story would have been. And it wouldn't have been even an original Netflix show if a Christian had come along and actually partnered with her and cared for her through all of that. I mean, doesn't everyone want that? Or most people want that? Someone to come alongside of them and say, man, in the midst of your pain, I am here with you. Do or die. I don't care. I am here. You may be the most messed up person in the world, but I am here with you. I think because of that show, the one scene that I did not watch at all was the actual scene when she took her life. And I'll be honest with you, as I get older, I cry a lot, but I cried. I cried. And again, I understand that it's a TV show, but it's also reality. I cried as I listened to her audibly cut herself. And I cried because I just thought, don't do it, Hannah. Don't do it. There is an answer for you. That's why we go to Tuba City. Those kids are hungry. Those pastors are hungry for someone to come alongside of them saying, I am here with you and will be until the end. That's why I like going to Tuba City. I'll confess, it makes me feel good. To be a part of that. But in a bigger picture, to know that God can step into this youth group and the many others that are now serving in seeds and pour love into these kids is valuable. I know it's only once a year, but these kids stay in contact with the other students all year long. And staying in contact with the pastors really makes me sense that even though Tuba City might not be on our hearts and minds every second of the day, it's still important because the reality is we're doing what the writer of Hebrews is asking us to do, to come alongside someone, to encourage them so that sin's deceitfulness does not lead to a hardness of heart, does not lead to the unbelief that that hardness of heart brings, And ultimately, a fulfillment of the warning, the danger, turning away from God 
which is not a good thing at all. So from the bottom of my heart, in the bottom of my heart of these students, I want to thank every one of you that generously supported us to get out there. And I know it's a big cash flow, but it really is helping save lives of some of these kids. And this year, and let me finish with this, one of the students, um, in open honesty, not our students, but one of the AOG students, the last time I taught VBS, uh, he was in my class. And I had never been so mad at a kid. Chasing him around, sit down, listen to this, do this, do that. It's like, he's the reason why I stopped teaching. <clears throat> so man, first of all, I don't like kids all over me, unless they're my own. But I mean, like, if you can see the picture, they're all, it's like, it's like ants on food. It's just like, bam. <clears throat> this is the first year after going out there and knowing him for maybe seven or eight years that I'm beginning to see God do a work in his heart. Encouragement takes time. It takes energy. That is so worth it. It is so worth He actually friended me on Facebook. What more could you ask for? You know what I mean? I didn't have to look for him. He looked for me. Come on, P-I-S-Z-C-Z-O-R is not an easy name to spell, right? Here's what I want to leave you with. The call is for each and every one of us, I believe, Scripture. And there's many calls. So this is not the only call. It is not the primary call, but it is an important call to be encouragers. I'm not saying we have to stop admonishing. The writer of Hebrews did not stop admonishing. He told them pretty clearly, dudes, wake up. Sin's going to deceive you. Your heart's going to be hard, and you're going to be unbelief. You're going to turn away from the living God. Not good. It's okay to criticize that helps someone become a better follower of Christ. What I'm calling for each and every one of us is to put some of the pettiness behind. Not to expect perfection. I mean, sometimes people go, man, I expected more of these kids. And I think to myself, what more do you expect of them? They're not perfect. They're still teenagers, but I would take these teenagers anywhere in the world with no fear that they're going to make fools of themselves. Picture the scene. First day, Tuba City, we're sitting in the Phoenix airport. When was the last time you saw 19 teenagers sitting in a corner reading their Bibles absolutely quiet? You ever seen that? I've never seen that, but I saw it with them. Now, I could say, dude, Emily, man, you fell asleep during that. How could you? And she didn't. But do you know what I'm saying? Can we please, as a family, really grasp on the power and importance of encouragement and then pursue that with a hunger that says this family will be family together? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you love us so much. And you do send your spirit as a comforter, as an encourager to come alongside of us, as well as living inside of us. But you also call your family, the body of Christ, to do that work as well. And so my prayer is, Father, that though we talk about this over and over and over again, that it becomes more and more and more of a reality in our midst. So that whoever is here and whatever their struggle is, as deep and as dark as it can be, we pray that where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And that your Spirit will bring the freedom from that sin.
from that stronghold. That you will set people free from those things that keep them from knowing you fully. But that you will use this body, this family, in Christ, in the power of your spirit, to come alongside and to be with them, come hell or high water, to stick with them. That this church is recognized not for its strategies, but for its love of Jesus. For its love of the family of God. And for its love for those who are not in the family of God. That love be what this church is all about. And so God, there are some people who need to forgive here. I pray that you work in their hearts. There are some people here who are holding on to things so tightly and so silently because they are afraid. Spirit, again, come, bring freedom. And where anyone is, where everyone is in their journey with you, oh God, we pray. Show yourself. We know you are good. Let us experience that goodness, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, even in the midst of our struggles with sin, struggles with relationships. And let us be free as we are free indeed in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.